Bob. There we go. Tent peg, add, secure, hook. May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law uh, forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings, and I will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commands, because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love. I meditate on your decrees. Okay, so you got that. And we got a couple of, uh, let's see, we got a couple of prayer requests and uh, one thing to read. Let's see here. Um, where? Oh, here they are. Okay, Graham, who almost died in Scotland, mm. is doing well. Uh, he, he, he said the doctor, he kind of told me the background on it. The doctor basically told him, you're not going to make it. And after we started praying, the... Uh, what was it last Thursday last Thursday, Thursday mm-hmm. he came in he says in 30 years I've never seen anything like this mm-hmm. anything so you know I, I always say I am I do not believe in miracle healers I don't believe it that's not reality but I do believe in miracle healing now we have to have faith that that was the Lord that did that but um, he, he has his reasons for things and uh, Graham has uh, actually spent time leading a person to the Lord while he was not doing so well so uh, great job there. Lothar in Germany, he uh, has surgery for a permanent IV coming on Friday. He said it could be complicated because he has two blood clots in his neck. And also, um, uh, he's asking for prayers not only for that, but for him to be able to share the gospel in the hospital. Mm. And then Enda in Ireland is looking to talk to his brother-in-law uh, and his wife about Jesus. And so uh, they're having some family things. And so he said, please, um, you know, keep them in prayer so we got those people there and uh, and um <coughs> what doug's wife doe yeah her brother is also in the hospital oh that's ivan friend. isn't it wasn't uh, was it i, I don't sure. know i anyway okay i think i saw that but i didn't write it down so doug's wife uh brother okay so we'll brother-in-law. have brother-in-law okay i i think i did see that anyway um and then i got one thing to read and then uh okay yes um uh, I am Pertab, I won't give his last name, from Hindu background. My wife and I are happy to share that God changed our lives by attending a meeting with uh, Nazir and learning from him about Jesus. This is the uh, movie that we do every month over in Pakistan. I was invited by one of my neighbor friends. I saw his life was already changed, and I asked him how it was happened. He shared with me about Christian faith, that how God loved the world and we come to believe in Jesus by saving faith. I asked him if I can join with him and attend this film meeting. He brought me in this meeting last month. I was very happy that there were other people who came. I was happy to meet with them. I found that I was not alone to attend it, but some other Hindu people also came to attend the meeting, so it gave me encouragement. Now, remember, he's got a neighbor who suddenly has a complete change in his life, and he says, what happened? And so the guy said, well, here, I got some, I got so many new things to learn because I never knew about Jesus before. I came to know that he is the Son of God and gives eternal life by his death on the cross, and I came to believe in his death for my life. My wife also experienced the same like me, and we submitted our lives to him. We prayed in this meeting at the end, and it was a nice feeling that we never had before. 
Brother Nazir, who led this meeting, gave us prayer teaching. He guided my wife and myself to continue to learn and grow in our faith. My wife and myself are now growing in our faith and becoming stronger believers. We want to thank for God's love, and we will need your prayers for our lives to grow according to the Word of God. My wife is now inviting some ladies from our neighbors that are interested to attend the Jesus Film meeting, which they are going to have another one tomorrow. Um, so I want to mention more that I always face so many challenges in our lives criticizing by other people who laugh at us. They say, why you changed your religion? People from Hindu background have difficult to face these things, but God is our guide. And he sent a photo of him and his wife, which don't point it toward the camera. And um, having said that, we took care of, um, uh, the church took care of tomorrow's uh, uh, everything. We got them uh, uh, the generator and everything. We also got them uh, uh, some food. We got them all kinds of other things uh, that he asked for, MP4, some Bibles. So, uh, but I've been asking him to get a price of getting a projector so that, and a generator so that we don't have to keep doing this every month. It can be a one-time thing and all they will need after that would be MP3s, Bibles, food, things like that, but not the, the big expense, the about 400 plus dollars every month for the movie. And so he said, um, he went out yesterday, I went to the market and found some inquiries that I am mentioning below. Video equipment would be $240, which is a 32-inch screen LED with USB built-in function. A generator would be $455, and a sound system would be $266. Total would cost $961. If anybody wants to help with that, that will be... Uh, that will take care of that monthly expense that comes every month, about 396, but then there's a 6% transfer fee. And so uh, it's, you're talking about 450 bucks a month. So almost two full months and it's paid for. Right. So if anybody wants to help with that, let me know. And uh, if so, we will get that bought and we will have this, the ability to just help them with the other things, the necessary things each month. But um, uh, I'll mention this again on Sunday, but just pretty, so that people are aware of that. You have to think about a generator. Yeah, right? well, they don't have the electricity that, right? over there, and so that's what they need. And they imagine having a generator running outside while you're trying to watch a movie with 50 people in a small room. It's, right, right. Wow. Anyway, so there you go with that. We'll uh, uh, hope that. I, yes. Back when he was, you were opening up with his, his uh, letter there, it's like, I don't know about you, but I miss that feeling. Oh, that early, absolutely. That early feeling. The excitement. Like, oh my of, gosh. It's like, you know. Like, absolutely. Just absolutely miss it. Okay. I got I, All right. So we'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer there. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to come into your presence and to uh, just share in uh, your wonderful goodness, your open hand of healing, of uh, uh, blessing, of bringing people to Christ. All of these things, we're very grateful for that. Uh, we pray for the people that we mentioned a moment ago, and uh, uh, we just ask that you would be with them through their troubles. And if it's your will, like Graham, to bring them to healing, we would certainly pray for that. We've got broken relationships that need to be mended, and Lord, they're not going to be successful, most likely, unless you are put into them. It's difficult even sometimes with our own families in Christ. How much more difficult is it in this world? So we certainly pray for all of those people and their needs, and we pray for a successful meeting tomorrow. We hope to hear good news about people coming to the Lord and uh, being saved over in uh, Pakistan. Uh, time is short, Lord, and uh, whether it's uh, 
for the rapture or whether it's for our lives, either way, our lives are short and the time is short. So we would pray that these things would come about to your glory. And we also pray for uh, Nazir, who uh, had COVID for three weeks, and we're grateful that he's well enough to do this again. So uh, we thank you, we praise you, and we pray about this class as well. And uh, please guide us in it so that uh, what is said will be proper. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we Tom have a... Had something, Charlie. What's that? Rick said Tom had it. Yeah. Oh, you had... I, I heard talking, but I thought you were just talking to each other. Okay, what is it? Well, I can mention it later. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, I thought you guys were talking to each other. So. about his surgery. Uh, well, your surgery is uh, delayed for two months, right? Yeah, it can't be about his surgery. Yeah. I, uh, Maybe to pray to keep it moving along. Yeah, we, well, we'd, we would pray that they would move it up. I just move it, move it forward. I mean, poor Tom, he's just... He's been having uh, just the most difficult time out in the projects every week, and uh, we keep saying just, you know, we'll take care of it, and he plugs through every single week. I've never seen anything like it, but uh, hats off to him for his efforts. Oh, and we got to read this. Today is the 11th of May. I didn't do that, so we'll do that very quickly. I um, hope it's not like the one either last week or two weeks ago. That was terrible. Anyway, um, 11 May, Margaret McLachlan. I guess, McLaughlin and Margaret Wilson, Covenanters in Wigtown, Scotland, were tried for their faith on April 13th of 1865. That's like a hundred and some years ago, and they're being tried for their faith for refusing to take the oath of abjuration, which stated that the Church of God is a department of the state, found guilty of rebellion, attending field meetings and worshiping in places other than a church, they were ordered to receive their sentences on their knees. When they refused to bow before anyone but God, they were forced down to their knees and then were sentenced to death by drowning. This is 1865. I know. Crazy. <laughs> Margaret McLaughlin was a 70 year old widow who was highly respected by fellow Christians for her unwavering faith and godly life. She had been on her knees worshiping God when her family, uh, with her family when she was arrested. While in prison awaiting trial, she suffered greatly without food, light, or bed. By contrast, Margaret Wilson was an 18-year-old serving maid who, along with her brother and sister, had fled to the mountains to escape persecution because they were Covenanters, uh, followers of Covenanter James Renwick. Their parents suffered greatly for the godly convictions of their children. Margaret's 13-year-old sister, Agnes, was arrested at the same time as her sister, but their father was able to post a heavy bond for her in time. It was too late for him to rescue Margaret. On May 11th, 1685, I see, they made a typo here. 1865, 1685. Oh. Let's go back 300 <laughs> years, folks. That's way better. Uh, the two faithful Margarets were tied to posts and staked in the sea as the tide was rising. The older Margaret was farther out, the younger was near the shore. They were given many chances to recant their beliefs but they stood firm and resolute. Margaret McLaughlin remained silent with her eyes closed throughout the ordeal, communing with Christ until death. As the tide overtook her and her body went limp, the soldier said to younger Margaret, what do you think of her now? She replied, think, I see Christ wrestling there. Think ye that we are sufferers? No, it is Christ in us. As the tide rose, 18-year-old Margaret Wilson began to sing a covenanter rendition of Psalm 25, 7. My sins and faults of youth, do thou, O Lord, forget. After thy mercy, think on me, 
and for thy goodness, great. Good God good and upright is the way he'll sinners show. The meek in judgment he will guide and make his pass to know. She had her Bible with her and read, <coughs> excuse me, from Romans 8. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. After the waves washed over her head, the soldiers pulled her out, pleading with her one last time to pray for the king. She prayed, but her prayer was, Lord, give him repentance, forgiveness, and salvation, if it be thy holy will. The angry soldiers threw her back into the water, and she joined Margaret McLaughlin before the throne. The two Margarets shared the same name, the same faith, and the same death. We may never face the rising tide of the sea, but the deep waters of trouble and loss can be just as overwhelming. How do you react when you feel uh, uh, you are about to drown in the rising sea of your own troubles? Isaiah 43, the Lord who created you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. Wow, that's, that's amazing. I, I couldn't believe it was 1865, yeah, it's yeah. like reading. But I understand in the 1600s, that was real popular back then was taking people, you know, you got the Church of England, you got the Church of this and that, and they're all fighting against each other and demanding allegiances, and now it's, you know, the Democrats in Washington, they're demanding allegiances. Pretty soon they're going to be doing that to us. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's okay. Send me out of here. I'd rather be with Jesus than be here anyway. Um, okay, here we go. We're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. We are, and I'll just back up to 11, which is the beginning of the paragraph. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Mm, okay, and let's see here. 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. Okay, so there you go. Let me out. Uh, there's an emphasis in the Greek of this verse which is lacking in this translation. The word you begins the sentence. It reads, you moreover, the Lord may make to increase and to abound. In the previous verse, Paul spoke of himself and his companions. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. This verse then contrasts that with the emphasis on the word you. What can be inferred is the thought, whether we come or not, this is for you to do. From there, he explains what that thing is. They are to increase and abound in love toward one another. This petition is made to the Lord by Paul. In the previous verse, it was seen that he addressed God and the Lord Jesus Christ together using a singular verb. I don't know if you remember that from last week, but it's just another evidence you can chuck over at the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. By the way, I think I mentioned this. I may not have. Um, uh, did I mention the um, uh, two-minute uh, two video on different denominations? 
I recall you saying that. It'll, if it. you want to, this guy, yes, I remember I did because I said I could not do what he does. I want to highlight him again because he does such a good job. He's a young guy and he takes a denomination like the Southern Baptists and just type in the Southern Baptists in two minutes or type in the Episcopals in two minutes. He does a really good job of taking and summing up what they believe in just two minutes. He'll say something like, well, the Jehovah's Witnesses in two minutes. Now, he's got longer videos on these denominations, but he does these just so that you can know what they believe, in, basically. And he goes through and he says the Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is God. They, you know, there's 144,000 are going to heaven and everybody else is going to spend, uh, you know, their life on a paradise earth, okay? When they take communion, only the 144,000 take the communion. And he just gives you what they do. He doesn't say anything about, you know, whether it's right or wrong or anything. He just tells you. So if you want to know about a particular denomination, I watched one this week on this crazy cult over in the Philippines. And he explains in two minutes what they believe and why they believe it. Anyway, uh, if you uh, watch those, you will get a synopsis of any. I, I can't imagine him not having done every denomination he can think of because that's how you make money on YouTube is by you know putting out more videos constantly so you do a quick search what do they believe and then do your two-minute video anyway and he does them well um, so uh, the whole point that I brought that in is because the previous verse they mentioned God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in one verse with the singular and because it, they did that it means that God is uh, Jesus is God Okay, and you can use that in your evidence for crazy cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, he mentioned two, um, uh, two cults in the Philippines. He didn't call them cults. He's very good about just saying this is what this church believes, um, which I couldn't do. I, I would have to tell them where they were wrong. But he um, uh, mentioned two of them, and one of them believed that Jesus is a man, and so he is not God. They didn't deny that. And then another one believes that uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God, but there is not a trinity. Okay, when you hear things like that, you have to be able to understand what that means. Okay, so if God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God, but they are not a trinity, then what does that mean? One of them had to create the other two. Not necessarily. Um, it, it wouldn't because, well, I won't get into that. What that would mean is that they are a triad, hmm. that each is God, but they're not one. And forget the part about creation. It is impossible because if there is God here and there is God here, then this God must have something that this God does not. Which That's the 12 first principles. Go back and watch those. Yeah. And so it's, it's a... Well, they're all the same one. They, the Trinity, must be true. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one. They have three persons in one entity. This cult is saying that they are three separate gods. That the Trinity is not true. And because of that, you can logically deduce why that is wrong. Okay. And then the other one that says that Jesus is a man, and so he cannot be God, is misunderstanding the incarnation, the uniting of God and man as one, okay? They, they're two separate uh, natures. They never intermingle, and they are never separate, okay? But they are, It's uh, I can't think of the term right now, but anyway, they are the hypostatic union. 
God and man united forever. Okay, so that is the deity and the humanity of Jesus. Now, they've denied that, and therefore they are a cult. And if they are taught that, then they will not be saved. Same thing with a denial of the Trinity, because you cannot have three separate gods. That is uh, logically impossible. God is a god of logic. And so it's important when you see things like this that you understand those basics. So go back, watch the Genesis 1-1 sermon, or if you want, I'll just email you the 12 first principles. They're not easy to understand, but the more that you read them and the more that you think on them, you will grasp what the 12 first principles are. And then you will be able to identify why these things are incorrect. Um, is the boy okay there, mom? Yeah, yes or no? Is no. the he's not? He's okay. Oh, okay. Well, that's all I needed to know. All right. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, uh, so, to your okay. point though, okay. that is a great list. And the first time you sent it to me and I read it, I'm like, what in God's name is he giving me this? Yeah, it's very it doesn't make any sense. But then after you, you you let it sink in a little bit, you go like, oh my gosh, it's true. It's that like, makes sense. This cannot be if this yeah, is, right. and if so, this is, then this must logically follow. Right. right. And so the more that it's it, the first time you see the twelve first principles, and you say, oh, you're just like because you've never thought that way. You've never considered logic. That's not our nature is to think logically. It's not our nature to think critically. We have to be taught that. And that's why they used to teach that in America and ever, even in grade school. You know, 10th grade, they would be teaching critical thinking. They no longer do that. And when you get to college, they're certainly not going to do that. They're going to teach you exactly the opposite. Let's not think critically, okay? Anything can mean anything. And if you're white, you're bad and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that that is the standard now because they don't want people to contemplate the truth about things especially the truth about God so learn those things and then you will be able to identify them when you see that so there you go thus the term Lord indicates God and not just one member of the Godhead although that may not have been what was on Paul's mind it does fit properly after petitioning love between the brethren he then adds in, and to all. This could mean everyone in a general sense, or it could be referring to all believers, not just those in the church at Thessalonica. The latter is probably the case. Paul has harsh words for many outside of the scope of believers, as did the Lord himself. Okay, you're not a believer, and they, you know, Jesus came down on the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians like nobody's business. They didn't have good words to say to them because they were not a part of what God is doing. They needed to come to him in faith and they rejected that completely. Paul's the same way, you know, he just called people out. So this is probably referring to believers. However, the bond of love should not be ignored among believers, even if they are of a different church, culture, or creed. But we don't want to take that too far because as I just identified, there are cults in the world. And uh, what is it, 2 John is very clear. It says, uh, do not greet them, uh, nor welcome them into your home, because if you do, you share in their wicked work. So we are not to have fellowship with members of a cult. That doesn't mean they can't be our friends. You know, if I knew Glenn Beck personally, he could be my friend. I just can't deal with him on spiritual matters as a brother in Christ. He's a Mormon, okay? And we're not allowed to do that. And that was one of the problems with what he did when he had that great big rally up in Washington, D.C. Is he 
he actually pressed the point. He would give quotes from people saying, well, if somebody is a Christian, I don't care what their denomination is, I will pray with him. Well, that is saying that Mormonism is the same as other Christians, and it's not. They deny certain fundamental truths about the Bible, about their relationship with Jesus and who Jesus is. We can't have fellowship with them. Like I said, you can be their friend, but you cannot be their spiritual ally. Okay, I would never pray with a Mormon. I would not pray, except that he receives Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible. I would never pray with a Jehovah's Witness because of that. Okay, that's just the way that it is. Uh, it's fine that people went up and had a rally for America and they were all, but when they started all that praying stuff, I would have to say, I cannot participate in this because it is wrong that he is leading people spiritually when he doesn't even believe that Jesus has always been a God or the God. They believe that he was a man who became a God and then, you know, he died for the sins of the world and the whole thing is just, it. one little grain of error permeates everything. Okay, so just keep that in mind. If you disagree with me on that, the problem is with you. It's not with me because Mormonism is not Christian. Neither is Jehovah's Witnesses. Even though they're under the umbrella of Christianity for the sake of, you know, uh, politics and for the sake of, uh, what is it, censuses and all that stuff, they are not a Christian denomination. Be very careful with that, okay? Uh, Episcopals, okay, they're a Christian denomination. Nowadays, they're completely so far left that there's very few Episcopals that really believe in any of the fundamentals of the Bible. But if they do, they believe like you and I would about the Trinity. They believe in, like you and I would about atonement and things like that. But, you know, it, it, the Episcopal Church is like the Presbyterian. It's like in a lot of these other big denominations. They've got their own little things. But for the most part, the doctrine is not terrible. And I'm talking about the theology. I'm not talking about the, what they're doing nowadays, you know. I'm talking about what it used to be. But Mormonism never started like that. It started wrong from the beginning, and it has always been wrong. Seventh-day Adventists, same thing. They're lumped under Christianity, but Seventh-day Adventists do not hold to the completion of Jesus Christ of the law. You must reinsert the Sabbath. You can't, you know, different denominations have different teachings, but for the most part, they you can't eat meat. You can't do this. You can't do that. We were talking about legalism before uh, the class today. And legalism is the surest way to destroy a church. It can be a church with 50,000 people, but it is dead when it's filled with legalism. So you got to be careful with that as well. And these are just some of the, the funny thing is that these all cropped up right at the same time in American history, about the 1860s or 1870s, all of these big cults started. And the reason why is because America at that time was having a, a great debate about religious freedom and people took advantage of that. And in taking advantage of religious freedom, they said, I can start my own religion, my own thing, and people will follow me, and I'm going to get all of this, you know, whatever you're going to get from it. That's a real problem. So uh, just because we have religious freedom in this nation, or had religious freedom, uh, it doesn't mean that it was always a good thing as far as the congregants are concerned. It's a good thing as far as the government's concerned. You can say what you want, you can say what you want, but as far as the people that don't know by the Bible, they don't know what uh, is proper doctrine, off you go down heresy highway. So read your Bible. Know your Bible before all other things, okay? And uh, be careful 
when you read the Bible to under, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll read something here in a minute. It just I brought it here. I thought, do I have a reason to add that in? And it's a good time. It has nothing to do with denying the deity of Christ, but something I typed yesterday for a commentary. And uh, I just want you to know that when you're reading the Bible, that when you're reading the Bible, you should uh, read different versions and get well-versed enough so when you get a new version from somebody, you'll know where the error is, okay? Or you can say, that doesn't sound right, and then ask somebody, is this right? Okay, anyway, um, after petitioning love between the brethren, he then adds in, and to all. Oh, I, I read that in paragraph. Um, different church, culture, or creed. I, that's why I just finished with. Okay, so to show what he means, he concludes with the words, just as we do to you. The love of Paul and his associates towards the church in Thessalonica was perfectly evident in how they ministered and continued to minister to them. Despite being apart from them physically, the love between them grew steadily. Paul's desire was that this same type of increasing love would characterize them as well. The fellowship of believers should be built up, not torn down. Uh, I just typed that this morning, yesterday and this morning on Acts 16 about Thessalonica. And so it'll be out in uh, uh, 11 days, I think it is. Anyway, however many days it is. I think it's 11 the next each next one comes out but um we're in Thessalonica I just I was so excited to be there because it's lining up with this epistle but it says here in um uh, I'll start with um Acts 16 11 therefore sailing from Troas we ran a straight course to Samothrace um that's not what I wanted okay so I want to go down I'm in chapter 17 not 16 Duh. okay um let's see here now when they had come uh passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia they came to Thessalonica this is over the past three days I or four days I've typed this where there was a synagogue of the Jews then Paul as his custom was went into them and reasoned for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from scriptures explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ he spent three weeks telling them about it this is why I typed this morning and some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas so there we go this is the church that I'm reading right now that this letter that we're reading in this study is addressed to they just became believers. Paul has convinced people over three Sabbaths of their need for Christ. He does say something in 1.9. Um, where is that? 1 Thessalonians 1.9 that um, so shows you it's not only people from the church, I'm sorry, the synagogue, meaning Jews and proselytes. He says in 1.9, um, uh, where was that? For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So obviously, Paul is reasoning with the Jews in the Sabbath. What is he doing the other six days of the week? Talking the He's Gentiles. talking to the people in town. We know that because he said, you turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Well, those people in the synagogue were not pursuing idols. So Paul was not wasting his time waiting for the next Sabbath. He was in the marketplace. He was here, he was there. Probably stopped at a restaurant and said, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? You know, he's just... It's obvious because of that verse right there. Okay, so that's Acts. Now, this is something I typed from that, from verse 2 of Acts. And it goes along with bad doctrine. It goes along with knowing your Bible. I want to read this. 
This is from the commentary, the life application on Acts 17.2. Paul took his time and reasoned from the scriptures in order to bring understanding to those he spoke with. One cannot reasonably reason from scriptures if those scriptures are manipulated. It is the job of a translator to do what? Translate. You, in the third row, you are correct. The job of a translator is to translate. Remember that. My job as a translator is to translate. This is what this text says. This is what I am going to make it, and they're going to be the same. It may be another language. There may be different ways of saying it in different translations, but the job is not to say, I'm going to take this and change it to this. Everybody see that? That is not translation. That is manipulation. And I've got a point I'm going to get to in just a minute. In the case of this, of the verb of this verse, often translated as his custom was, which is a noun and a verb, a verbal form was used to get a clearer sense, and Paul as customized. Okay, so I wanted to translate this as close to the Greek as possible. So it says here, then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from scriptures. Okay, so they said, as his custom was, but it's actually a single word. And so I translate it, and Paul, as customized. Is there really any difference between those two? As his custom was, as Paul was customized. Is there any difference? Not, Not really. No. Okay. It doesn't really make any difference. Okay. To me, it made a difference because I want to say this is a verb. We'll make it a verb. But it's not necessary to convey the meaning. Okay. It was a noun and a verb. A verbal form was used to get a clearer sense. And Paul as customized. The meaning here is not that much difference, and anyone would get the sense of what is being said from the New King James Version or Charlie Garrett's clunky translation. In fact, mine is clunky because nobody speaks that way. I was just trying to make it more literal. Okay, so, um, uh, however, can you see any marked and purposeful change between these versions of Acts 17.2? I'm going to read you four versions of Acts 17.2. Okay, and according to his usual practice, Shaul went in and on three Shabbats he gave them drashas from the Tanakh. That's the uh, common Jewish Bible. Here's the next one. And as he did Bekvius regularly, Rabbi Shul, Shaul joined their minyan and on Shlosha Shabbatot he gave them drashot from the Ketvei HaKodesh. That's the... Uh, online Jewish Bible or the OJB. I think it's online, but the O may not be. It may be the organic Jewish Bible, whatever. Okay, the next one is from the Hallelujah Scriptures. And according to his practice, Shaul went in unto them, and for three Shabbatot was reasoning with them from the Scriptures. That's three Jewish Bibles. New King James Version again. Then Paul, and his, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. As simply as you can, without worrying about all the Jewish terminology, can anybody think of a translational error that actually affects other parts of the Bible from those four verses? One of them is correct, the other three are wrong. They're manipulated scripture. Some of the differences are the use of Jewish wording to convey the same idea. 
So it says, um, what does Paul say? He said, um, uh, reason with them from the scriptures. And so this guy says, gave them drashes from the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the scriptures, the Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketavim. That's the three parts of the Old Testament scriptures. That any Jew would understand, and there's nothing manipulated there. It's just a different terminology. The, the third one mom was laughing at, I mean, it was, or I'm sorry, the second one, it was so bad, but it's just Jewish words that are being used, which is fine. If you're going to translate it into Japanese, you're going to use Japanese words, okay? So, that is an acceptable way of making something more understandable for a target audience. Obviously, if a Jewish person, if a person was never Jewish, it would be pointless to try to learn all the new terminology just to understand what the Bible is saying, right? Why would you get a Jewish Bible and try to learn all of that when you don't need to? You've got a competent translation here and here and here, 15,000 of them in America. However, in all three Jewish Bibles, there is a purposeful, I was so mad, somebody gave me a copy of the Hallelujah Scriptures. And I was reading it, and you know, they do this, the Old Testament, they put in names the way that Jewish people would read them, and that's fine. And then I suddenly thought, I wonder what it says, and we'll just say Acts 17 too. And I went there, I was so furious, I said, I'm not gonna read another word of this Bible. And then I, I got over that. I said, I'm going to read it because I want to know the differences and where they have manipulated it. We did this when Sergio was here. They changed the Berit Hadashah, or the New Covenant, and the, uh, uh, what is it, the, um, uh, the Old Covenant, okay? Behold, I will give you a new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31, I think, okay? Berit Hadashah. And they translated it as a renewed covenant. It doesn't say a new covenant in there. They manipulated their Bible because they want to keep the law. And they're getting people to believe that the law is still in effect and it's just renewed in Christ. Okay, so that, if it's a Bible that's got the New Testament, which is that... But they don't call it that. They, they, they say that it's a renewed right, right, Testament. Okay, okay, and that's fine. No, it's not fine, but it's, it doesn't have to do with what I'm about to say. Okay. Why would they have the New Testament in there if they're going to be sticking? Because it's about Jesus. So, but it, 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 just think of the Seventh-day Adventists. They're okay. reinserting right. the law. Okay. That's all they're doing. They're saying, you need to observe the law. Jesus just did this, but you need to do that. It's not by faith only. That's that. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. Here's where the manipulation is in this. All three scriptures did this. Okay. Uh, obviously, if a person is never Jewish, it would point, be pointless to try to learn all that new terminology. Why, unless you're doing a scholarly evaluation of a Bible, would you even buy a Jewish Bible? It would be like me buying a Japanese Bible and saying, okay, doesn't make any sense. I'd have to learn the language just to read it. Okay, so um, where was I now? Okay, however, in all three of these Jewish Bibles, there is a pur purposeful manipulation of the name Paul. As noted above by the person in the third row, the job of a translator is to translate. translate, not manipulate. Paul's Hebrew name, Saul, is stated 21 times in Acts 1 through 12. In those same chapters, the name Paul is never stated. However, in Acts 13 through 28, he went through the island of Crete, right? And he, uh, is it Crete? It was Crete. I, anyway, he went through the island right off the coast of uh, Syria. They went there first. When he got to the very last stop, he met a name, man named Sergius Paulus, a Gentile. And that person was converted, and Paul took his name. Right? Remember that? Okay, we just did that in Acts a little while ago. However, in Acts 13 through 28, the name Paul is mentioned 132 times, 
whereas Saul is mentioned twice and only as an explanation of past events. Remember that? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so when he was talking to the Hebrew people, he used that as an explanation, and he did it before, uh, what's his name as well? Felix, or, okay, I think of Felix, or the, the, the king, Agrippa, okay? So anytime Saul is ever used, it is always Paul. There is a reason for this that is completely obliterated by these manipulated Bibles, the Jewish Bibles. They didn't translate, they manipulated, because it says Paul, and they have not translated that. Now, somebody emailed me this morning, and she said, because she reads these um, early, okay? And she said, well, what about Peter? Did they do that with Peter? And I went back to her and I said, it doesn't matter if they did it with Peter. In their Bible, they, instead of calling him Peter, they call him Kepha. Kepha means rock. Peter means rock. It doesn't matter that they use the name Kepha. They did use the name Kepha, but that's fine. They did it all the way through the Old Testament as well. They're using, but with Paul, they did not translate. Who is Paul and what does he do in the Bible? Well, well he, he is the apostle the, the, the to the Gentiles. Right. We're going to obscure this fact. Everybody see what's going on with this? This is a manipulation. This is not a translation. Okay. To change the name Paul to Saul, as they have done, is to change Scripture. As noted above, one cannot reasonably reason from Scriptures if those Scriptures are manipulated. God has revealed the redemptive narrative in his word, and this includes the renaming of Saul to Paul. Saul comes from Shaul, meaning to ask. Paul is a Greek name that means small. They're not the same. It's not like Kepha and Petros, okay? It is a manipulation to hide what is going on. When what a, name do they use? They use Saul. So, they, uh, they just keep they don't say Saul. What, what, Shaul. Shaul. Okay. They, don't, they do not give the new name, which God has in his word for a very particular purpose. Sure. When people with a set perverse agenda purposefully twist what has been presented, it undermines the very intent of what God has put forth. The changing of Paul's name is not an irrelevant issue. It is a key and central point of doctrine when rightly studied and understood. We've done it on this board several times. Further, combining a study of the uses of Peter's name in relation to Paul's name gives an even deeper understanding of what God is presenting. Remember, Peter is mentioned all the way through Acts 1 through 12. We'll just say, I don't know the number. We'll say 168 times he's mentioned here. He's never mentioned after Acts chapter 13. But Paul, in the same transition goes from Shaul to Paulus. There is a reason for that. God is directing his attention to who? The Gentiles. the Gentiles. They have obscured and hidden that. They've manipulated it and it is, I when I saw that a couple months ago, I was so furious. I, I just almost, but I didn't. I said, I'm going to keep reading this because I want to know what they are teaching and why so I can defend against this heretical thinking of these people. Okay, okay. Now wait, let me finish this. Further combining a study of, I've said that, um, uh, these things can no longer be rightly understood. The things that we've done on this board, they cannot be studied. They cannot be discussed when the scriptures have been so thoroughly distorted. Don't get caught up in the Hebrew hype that all things Jewish are better than what has been presented for the past 2,000 years. God has given us his word. When it is translated, the translator is to translate, not manipulate. 
pay heed to this. Study to show yourself approved and don't get sidetracked by those who purposefully try to sway you away from what is proper. These have to be messianic. Well, they're messi of course they're messianic. Why, why would they not want to like bring in the Gentiles if they're messianic? I mean, they want to bring the sense. Gentiles in to be like them. Have you been to a messianic congregation? No, Some of them are good, but I got to tell you, most of them, they bring you, you've got to observe the feasts. You've got to observe the Sabbath. Huh. There's no worshiping on Sunday. And all, it, it's just like going to the Seventh-day Adventist or any. They want what's called control. They want their fingers and their people, and this is how they do that. Be careful of that kind of thing. Read the Bible, and if you find out that Charlie Garrett is wrong on an issue, let him know. Because I'm not here to manipulate this word, but to tell you what it says in the best way I can so that you are ready when you get tired of me and say, I'm going to another church, not to be duped by those people, okay? I understand, I'm an abrasive person. Hedeko will admit that, mom will definitely admit that, okay? I, I'm type A personality. I do not calm down easily, okay? That's just my nature. I understand my faults. It doesn't mean I can do anything about them. A guy emailed me, a good friend of mine, and he says, I just feel like the most hypocritical Christian. He started I'm, I'm, you know, loading on me, like, which he's done in the past, and I went back to him and I said the same thing that I say to him every time he emails. I said, I could have written that email to you. What you have said is exactly how Charlie Garrett is. And when people come up and they say, you're a hypocritical Christian, I say, that is why I am a Christian. Because I am filled with faults. If I wasn't filled with faults, I wouldn't need to be a Christian. I wouldn't need a redeemer. That is why I'm a Christian, is because I need Jesus. I need him to overlook the, the horrible person that I am. And I'm not here to have people say, I'm better than you because I worship on a Sabbath instead of a, a, the Lord's Day or any other day of the week. Romans 14 puts all of that aside. Okay, you can worship on any day of the week. You can esteem one day above the other. You can esteem them all the same. Let every man be convinced in his own mind. I'm convinced that I work seven days a week. Okay, some people don't like me doing that. This, I have entered into my rest, Hebrews 4.3. I enjoy what I do. I am in Christ and I am at rest in Christ, despite working seven days a week. I'm happy with it. And Paul says that's fine in Romans 14. Be careful what you believe, okay? This is really important. This isn't a minor issue. I dropped a piece of paper or something. No, I don't um, think so. Uh, did I finish something? Um, we're in 13. Oh, I see what I did. I took this one and put it under there. Okay, so be careful about these kind of things. And... Uh, uh, don't let people manipulate you. Uh, what were we talking about? Just Oh, I don't want to give the guy's name because I want to study more on him, but he was telling me about a very famous Baptist preacher that was accused of all kinds of sexual misconduct. And uh, Mabel mentioned a preacher that they used to be under, and this guy suddenly got caught doing something, and he was out that quickly, okay? You don't want to trust anybody. Don't trust me, don't trust anybody. You wanna trust the word and don't right. be disaffected if I fail you. I'm just Charlie Garrett, I'm going to fail you, okay? You wanna be disaffected when Jesus fails you and that will never happen, so don't ever be disaffected, okay? Um, life application, I, I'm sorry, I'm getting angry because this means that much to me. Right. When I read that, I, when I, I was fuming, I was fuming the first time I read it and then I thought, well, I wonder if other Jewish Bibles do that. The only three that I have access to, all three of them did it. They're manipulating scripture. They are not translating scripture. If you're not going to translate, you should not be doing a Bible for people to consume. That should not happen. 
It is true that in a general sense, we should have a sense of love for all people. If they're unsaved, we should want their salvation. However, Paul places a stress on the love between believers that should exist. It is something that we should strive for, even when they are really irritating know-it-alls or contrarians in ways that cause our skin to grate. A little lost skin is not worth dividing the fellowship. It comes about, I understand, there are people that we just don't want to be around anymore. I do get that. But uh, if you can mend the ways, if you can overlook people's faults, that is that is the best approach, okay? Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you have to divide the fellowship. You have to say, I just, I can't do this with you anymore. We're going to have to not, you know, but that is not the preferred option. It did happen with Paul and Barnabas. I don't know if they ever reconciled, but uh, it does happen. And so you have to accept that as well. But anyway, uh, 3.13. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Hey, this is the last verse of the uh, chapter is. 2. This one's very close. So Great. that he may establish Great. your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Okay, so here we go. Um, we got time. Uh, the previous two verses tied together with this one will give the full sense of Paul's thought. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Okay, Paul is petitioned for direction for those in Thessalonica, which will make them increase and abound in love. Requesting the fulfillment of this was so that, Paul's words, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. It is through the abounding in love that this will come about. The New Testament repeatedly says that love is the fulfillment of the law. That's right, Matthew 22:40, Romans 13:8, Romans 13:10, Galatians 5:14 and James 2:8. Love is the fulfillment of the law. The believer, uh, I think I'm on the wrong page now. Um, let me see where I'm at. Uh, how did I get here? I see I'm turning my stuff upside down. There we go. And loving meaning towards God and towards the fellow believers, we will be found blameless in holiness. There can be no charge against someone who is fulfilling the divine law because they are dealing with hearts that are pure. And this is deeper than an outward display, but it is with sincerity. One sets themselves apart, meaning holiness, just as they have been set apart by God in acting in love. On that day, which is set for Christ's return, the intent is that this is how we should be found. As he says, we should be this way, Paul's words again, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day isn't known, and the church has waited 2,000 years so far, but the day will come. Now you can see, this is the last verse of chapter 13, and we're heading right into, I'm sorry, chapter 3, and we're heading right into chapter 4, which speaks about the... The rapture. So you can see we got a segue right into the next chapter. Christ will return to bring the church to himself. At that time, we will stand before him to make an account of our lives. Okay, 
I know that somebody is probably going to click onto this video someday and they're going to say rapture. There's no such thing as the rapture. Listen, read your Bible. Okay, that's all I can say. It is so clearly presented in there that it is amazing to me that people deny it. Yes, I understand that at a point in the church history, nobody could have ever expected Israel to be back in the land. They could not believe. Oh, wait, they could because we had theologians hundreds of years ago that said this will happen. They believed the Bible. Instead of believing the prevailing attitude of all of the people in the church, they believed the Bible. And they went and they said, I, I've read this before, but let me see if I can find this. We'll stop right there and I'm going to take it to one of these people so you know that what I'm saying is true. Just so you know that I'm not making it up, that the rapture is not something. The rapture is contingent on dispensationalism. And dispensationalism is contingent on a return of who to where? Israel. Israel to Israel. That's right. So if we understand that, then there's no need to debate whether there will be a rapture as the Bible says, that people denied the way that the Bible said it because it didn't make sense with their theology. Let me take you to Bible Hub, B-I-B-L-E-H-U-B. -E uh, it would be okay if my fingers weren't so fat. Oh, talking about that, listen, I got the greatest thing. Fat Be fingers? I, yes, besides fat fingers. We will get back to Bible Hub in a second. I want to read this. This just came to mind. Listen, Sergio developed, you know, you've heard me talk about Bible Typer, people were using it. We were going to start uh, Monday or Tuesday, I'm sorry, we we're gonna start Tuesday with Bible Typer and type the whole Bible out. Okay, we both went there and it is clunky. As you're typing, the where you're typing, it doesn't keep up, it's not fast and it's, it's not user-friendly. Sergio developed a Bible webpage in one day. He did it yesterday, spent the entire day doing it. If you want, now it may have bugs in it because it's brand new, okay? There may be bugs in it, but if you want to type the Bible, you go to Bible, B-I-B-L-E-S-C-R-Y-B-E, -E, scribe with a Y, like Wycliffe would write it, not the way we would write it today. Bible scribe, oh, the reason why is because Bible scribe with an I cost $6,000 to buy that domain. This cost $13 or something, so he went with the cheaper one. Bible scribe with a Y, biblescribe.com, you, you can register, and then you log in, you have to give a, you know, a, a password, make up a password, and then you can start typing. And so I started it yesterday, we got some bugs out, there were some more we found this morning, but if you wanna try it, you wanna type your way through the whole Bible, that is another way of learning scripture. You're thinking at a different rate, you're thinking about word by word or sentence, however you type, okay? So you're, you're processing it a different way. Do that, I think you'll enjoy it. Back to uh, Bible Hub. Uh, he only could use one right now, uh, he'll add more in as they're available, but you got to ask permission and all that kind of stuff. So he has the WEB, which is based on the New American Standard. It's the one they use for their calendar. It's a public domain, so he shoved it in there, and it's fine. Um, what's that? It presents you with Genesis 1. Well, you don't need to know the Bible. It, it presents you there with Genesis 1. You look and you type. So you're improving your typing skills while you're typing the Bible. So, so you're it, just typing it to memorize it. That's, well, you're just typing it to type it. To, so you can say someday, I typed the whole Bible. And you improve your typing skills. That's the point of this. That's why they have these Bible typing sites. Okay, biblehub.com, and we're going to go to um, uh, Go. And so he developed that in a single day for your using pleasure. And he says, if nobody ever uses it, that's fine. He will. That guy types 104 words a minute. That's pretty good. 
Listen, I, I, I went to typing school, US, actually Riverview High School, then the US Air Force, and I've been typing every day for the past 40 years since I got out of, uh, uh, you know, in the Air Force, I've been typing every day and I'm at about 30 words a minute. This morning I did 58 uh, on one thing. Another one, I won't say what happened, but anyway, I, I, I'm probably about 35 words a minute. I've been, the reason why is because I, one, have dyslexia and I always have to stop and turn words around and I've got these other quirks that make it hard for me. Uh, that guy can type 138, 140 words a minute. Okay, that that was great. Did he have piano lessons as he was growing up? They always he plays piano. Faster. So that, that, that he plays piano. So I'd have to say yes. So um, what book am I looking for? I think it's. Um, uh, hang on a minute here. I, I I'm I'm looking for something. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, that's okay. Um, you guys are talking, and that's fine. I just want to see if I can find that. Um, uh, okay. Amos 9.15 is what I'm going to read you. I told you I was going to show this. So when we get into the rapture verses, you don't have to think, well, you know, nobody ever really believed that type of thing. I don't care what these people thought about the rapture. What I care about is what they thought about Israel. Mm -hmm. Amos 9.15, I'm going to take you first down to John Gill. I think that's who I want. Um, uh, okay, John Gill said, this is Amos 9.15. I'll read you the verse first. It says, um, and I will plant them. This is speaking of Israel. I will plant them upon their land, and they shall be pulled up, no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Now, has that ever been fulfilled in human history? No, because they were pulled up and they've been in exile for 2,000 years. John Gill, he was from the 1600s, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God, by which it appears that this is a prophecy of things yet to come, since the Jews, upon their return to their own land after the Babylonish captivity, were pulled up again and rooted out of it by the Romans, and remain so to this day. But when they shall return again, they will never more be removed from it. And of this they may he, uh, they may he assured, because it is the land the Lord has given them, and it shall not be taken away from them any more. And because he will now appear to be the Lord their God, the lo ami of Hosea 1.9, will he taken off from them? They will be owned to be the Lord's people, and he will be known by them to be their covenant God, which will ensure all the above blessings, the whole chapter of blessings to them of whatsoever kind, for this is either said, this is either said to the prophet, the Lord thy God, or to Israel, and either way it serves to confirm the thing, okay? And then one more, I'm going to read you Adam Clark that is a little more recent, I think he was the 1800s, and he says of Amos 9.15, and they shall no, no more be pulled up. Most certainly this prophecy has never yet been fulfilled. They were pulled out by the Assyrian captivity and by that of Babylon. Many were planted in again and again pulled out by the Roman conquest and captivity and were never since planted in but are now scattered among the nations of the earth. I conclude, listen to the faith of this guy, I conclude as the word of God cannot fail and this has not yet been fulfilled, it therefore follows that it will and must be fulfilled to the fullness of its spirit and intention, which happened in 1948 by the way, May uh, 14th, 1948, and this is established by the conclusion, saith the Lord thy God, 
He is Jehovah and cannot fail. He is thy God and will do it. He can do it because he is Jehovah and he will do it because he is thy God. Amen. Now, that is a couple of people that said, I'm not going to go with what everybody is saying around me. I'm going to believe what this says. And they wrote it out and they probably could have been stoned out of their congregations for saying what they said, but they didn't care because this is the word of God. And it happened hundreds of years later, hundreds of years in the case of John Gill, it happened. And Adam Clark, 18, 1700, somewhere around there, he said, I'm going to stand up on the firmness of the word of God because it can't fail. And sure enough, it happened in your lifetime and in your lifetime and a couple of you other oldie people. I'm too young for that, okay? Anyway, I, uh, uh, I was there for uh, 1967. I was, what, three years old, and I was rooting them on. Hey, they got Jerusalem. Okay, that's not true. I had no idea about it. But um, I was alive for that, but I was not alive for the 1948 thing. And, uh, but it happened. It's history. And now, what do they do? The same churches that said that will never happen now say, that's not the same group of people. That's not Israel. They deny that the word of God is true, and they deny that the Lord has done what he has done because they don't want to change their, their church doctrine instead of their biblical doctrine. Then, then the craziest part about it is, is it happens, and you can go back to, is it Hosea? Yeah. No, it's um, uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel. It's and like you can do the calculation, and it tells you exactly when it's going to happen. It's unbelievable. Okay, so uh, here we go. On that day which is set for Christ's return... With the, I better go back here. There can be no charge against someone who is fulfilling the divine law because they are dealing with hearts that are pure. Okay, and this is deeper than an outward display. I read that. Okay, um, before our, uh, our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where I le left off. This day isn't known, and the church has waited 2,000 years so far, but the day will come. Christ will bring the church to himself. At that time, we will stand before him to make an account of our lives. This is known as the Bema Seat Judgment. It is a judgment for rewards and losses, but not for salvation or condemnation. Now, how can you know that? How can you know that it's not for salvation? Um, 1 Corinthians? No, you're right. I, the Bible says that too. Well, it does. But, but even outside of the Bible, you're standing at the Bema Seat of Christ. How do you know that this is for salvation and not for condemnation? Because you're standing at the well, behemoth seat of true. Christ. Right, okay. He raptured you. So it can't be, right? Everybody see the logic in that? People say, oh, well, that's, you know, you can lose your salvation. Why would he rapture you? Right. It, right. The, it, the entire thought is convoluted. Okay, you are standing at the behemoth seat of Christ, and he's not going to say, well, I raptured you just to condemn you. He raptured you because he raptured you, because he loves you, because he saved you, because he died for you. He raptured you because of those things. You see the logic? Anyway, um, uh, this is known as the Bema Seat Judgment. It is for rewards and losses, but you're right. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It tells you very clearly there, you're going to go there for rewards and losses, not for condemnation. It's explicit. Okay, so um, Paul then adds in that Christ is coming with all his saints. Two main views are possible with this. The Greek says, the holy ones. Therefore, some believe this is angels that are being referred to. Those who hold to this would choose a verse such as Matthew 25, 31 to support their view. This is not what Paul is thinking of. Matthew 25 was spoken to Israel 
still under the law. Paul is more likely preparing the way for his words of chapter 4. In verse 14, he notes that God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. In other words, they're already dead. They're awaiting the resurrection at the rapture. Um, come here, I want to tell you something. Come here. At the rapture, Jesus will bring them, and together we shall meet him. Okay, that is what that is speaking of. It's um, What I want you to do is I want you to go over and I want you to thank the lady sitting right over there because she bought your dinner Wait, today. Grandma? The one right there, oh. yes. Yeah, you're talking about grandma. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Oh, there is another lady. Yeah. Really? Somebody else yeah. tried to buy your dinner for you today, but grandma wouldn't let me. So, uh, yeah. So you go thank her. Uh, well, yeah. That's she's sitting back there with her uh, ear things turned off, so she doesn't have to hear anything. She's in. Okay. Thank you for bringing that faith. Thank you. All right, the blameless and holiness before our God, that's Paul's words, is referring to those who are still alive. Okay, let me read this again. In other words, they're already dead. These are the holy ones that he's going to bring with him. They're already dead, but they're holy. They're set apart to God. That's what holy means, set apart. It means consecrated, okay? God is here. Charlie Garrett is here. God is holy. I'm not. In Christ, I am now brought into God because of Christ. That is, I am now sanctified. I am now holy because of Christ. It is a separateness. It is an apartness, okay? All those that are waiting the resurrection at the rapture, Jesus will bring them because they're already holy and together we shall meet him. The blameless and holiness before our God is referring to those who are still alive. He is going to bring us blameless and holy. We may not feel that way sometimes. We get in an anger, angry with somebody or we do something so stupid that we think, how, how could God ever forgive a person like me or love a person like me? He's going to present us blameless and holy before God because of what he has done. Forget yourself, trust in God, have faith. He will do it, okay? That's all there is to it. Um, it's referring to those who are still alive. When someone has died, they simply await the resurrection. But while living... This is how saints should conduct their lives. And this is the intent of Paul's words concerning Christ returning with his saints. Okay, life application. There is a lot of infighting and backbiting in the church. No. A lot. Yes. <laughs> we have enough of this in the secular world. Let us strive as much as possible to live at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It isn't always possible, but this is what we are asked to do. Once again, to John, don't share in their wicked work. If a person is in a cult, you can't fellowship with them. And the reason why is because if you acknowledge them in their religion, you are now implicitly saying that I accept what you believe. And now you are condoning their faith in what they believe, which is incorrect. By not fellowshipping with them and by saying, I cannot pray with you, I cannot greet you as a fellow believer, you are telling them that what they are doing is wrong and therefore you will not be a part of it. Okay, when you meet a Jehovah's Witness, they come to your door and bang on the door, say, you know what, you wanna talk, that's fine. I am not gonna welcome you into my house and I am not gonna greet you as a fellow Christian. But if you want proper doctrine, stand right here and I'll give it to you. Otherwise, there you go. Okay, um, four, oh, we're in chapter four. Best day ever. Celebration here. Okay. No, wait a well, Burke's got something. You, you mentioned sanctification about five times or, or yes. four. Yes, sanctification. sanctification. Two things about sanctification. Go ahead. Okay, 
Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy, thy word, word is truth. Is truth. That's right. Okay, so here's what we got. We got two types of sanctification. Do you know what they are? One is Paul uses the word in the past tense, the aorist tense, uh, like a billion times. Okay? We are positionally sanctified. The moment we come to Christ, we are sanctified. Okay? The other one is begins with a P, ends with progressive, progressive. progressive sanctification. We are in this life. We have come to Christ, and we are supposed to become more like him. Okay, a lot of people never go through the second one. They go immediately to, uh, uh, what, what did I just say, the first one? Um, positional sanctification. I'm sanctified, and that's it. And then they go roll around on floors in churches and pretend to speak tongues, okay? It, it, that doesn't help anything. You're supposed to become more like Christ, not acting like children, as Paul would say in that chapter, okay? The main thing is that you are sanctified. You are glorified. Paul goes through it and he says it. Each one is done. It's a done deal, okay? You are sanctified. You are glorified. However, we have progressive sanctification. We want to continue to grow in his word because your word is truth. So sanctify them by your word. He has done that. Now we need to get into the word and go through our own process of sanctification, which we're going to fail at every time you turn around, but we need to keep trying. You know, yes. Foundation. Yeah. Precious stones. Right. Uh, gold, silver, silver, straw. What is going to be burned away? Like what? what is going to be refined? Right. Absolutely yeah. right. One more thing. One more thing. Co covenant sanctification, or covenant with the Israel. He said this in Deuteronomy. I will never forsake you. That's right. He's faithful to his covenant. Covenant. Covenant faithfulness. Israel, they're going to be. That's right. And that's what John Gill got. And that's what Adam Clark got. And the rest of these people just spiritualize it and say, well, that's the church and we're going to be happy and God is never going to, you know, blah, 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 whatever they say. Okay, that is not what God is about. God is about, come over here. Let's show somebody something. I, I just saw that you're wearing your, your little uh, happy shirt. And so I, I, our friend sent us these, these wonderful shirts and it says, yes, we really do need these many dogs. And we have this many dogs, so together. <laughs> So, there you go. Okay. Um, and you know, this covenant thing, his, 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 his fidelity to the covenant is like the steadfast love, loving kindness. And absolutely. Mercy. I mean, that, and if he wasn't, the, then none of those things would apply to him. Yeah. If he wasn't faithful to the covenant, then he wouldn't be the God of steadfast love. He wouldn't. So, absolutely. The, the deal of Israel is that important where if you don't believe in Israel, you have no reason to believe, I'm talking about reestablished Israel, you have no reason to believe in a rapture. You can just spiritualize the scriptures and do what these mainline churches do. And they say, well, the rapture is, it's a new doctrine. It was never taught in the church, which is not true. And uh, they also say that, you know, nobody believed in a rapture up until John Darby in the that's 1800s, and that's not true. How do I know? Because Paul Talks believed in the rapture. <laughs> yeah. Paul believed in the rapture, and therefore I know that it's true. Just because your doctrine is wrong doesn't mean that everybody has to have your view on this matter. You don't believe that Israel back in the land is there by God's providence because you don't believe that God was faithful to the covenant that he made with them. Everything go. follows suit. Everything follows suit. If you don't believe that, then you have no reason to believe what we're going to talk about in 1 Thessalonians 4 as a literal occurrence that is going to happen to a set group of people. 
I, you know, I will say something. We got a sermon coming up, and I can't remember when it is, but you know, we've been working with typology. Hmm. All of these things in Joshua have been showing us pictures. And I sat in this church not three months ago, and I said, you know, I'm not really sure if the Old Testament saints will be brought up at the rapture or not. Remember I said that? I said either they will or they won't, and there are different verses in the Bible, and I'm not going to argue with somebody over this. I will tell you this. One of the passages coming up in Joshua answers that question. It answers it. And I was so excited to find that. Okay, will they be part of the rapture because they were in Christ before in their faith in Christ or will they not be raptured? And Joshua typology gives us that answer. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, Stay tuned. because I'm not going to give you that answer. I can, I can say because nobody online heard us, but somebody in the congregation said it to a couple other people and his answer was correct. But I'm not gonna say what he said, okay? But the people here now know. I have always been not dogmatic on that because this verse could could be taken that way. This verse could be taken. The typology is set. Trust me on this. Okay, so. You missed um, one point about the covenant. The covenant. Right, the covenant of, of God with Israel. Yeah. Why would he never abandon them? He wouldn't. That's because just Because we cannot lose, lose our, salvation. our salvation. Absolutely. If he would abandon them, then eternal salvation is a false doctrine right it comes down to that so about 63 percent of the people believe in replacement theory absolutely and this is actually what you that's that's exactly right replacement theology the church has replaced israel we are now we assume all of those old testament unfulfilled promises that's exactly correct and that is an incorrect doctrine and that's what john gill and adam clark very clearly argued against not replacement theology, but biblical theology. Okay, um, we're in chapter 4, verse 1 now. Finally, brothers, we instruct you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living, you are living. Now we ask you to and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Okay, we're that's completely backwards that. here. Finally then, <laughs> yes, more and more, sanctification, progressive sanctification. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Okay? That is progressive sanctification. Isn't that funny? I mean, I didn't know. Like that's exactly what we're talking about, and that's what we need to do. 4 1. Mine has more on it than before you stop. Well, I, well, his was backwards, and then yours probably follows that. But it says, just as you actually do walk. Okay. You excel still more. Yeah. Okay. That that um, is not there. Not in your Bible. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's see here. It doesn't give any note on there. Read yours. Four one. Finally, brethren. Finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Wow. Yeah, they... they that's a lot. That's, uh, a, that's a whole extra uh, package. Okay, well, not sure where they, what they were uh, eating for breakfast that day, but okay. Anyway, chapter 4 begins the instructional part of the letter to those at Thessalonica. This is finally, we've gone through three full chapters and we're finally getting into instructional uh, doctrine. Until this point, no true note of instruction has been given. 
Rather, his words have been greetings and calling to remembrance things which have occurred. His words finally then give the sense of for the rest then. In other words, there are other matters which require his instruction, and they are now to be submitted for this purpose. This is to be a new subject and a new direction. You know, when I, I just reading that kind of gives me the willies. When I was in high school, all of the kids that were a little bit not so good in school, you know, the miscreants and the troublemakers, they went to a school called New Direction. It was right over there on, by, um, what is it, um, uh, you know, the Baptist church that, uh, yeah. Yeah, Wilkinson, thank you, New Directions. And it was all chained in and they had people with dogs walking around there and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was, it was that's where the bad kids went. And so when I think of, and a lot of them were my good friends, you know, they just went down a bad path or, you know, they, whatever. And uh, so when I see the word New Direction, that always comes to mind. Anyway, of course, the what? Look at that. That's her. Okay, of course the word brethren that Paul uses is to is given to indicate that his words are intended for believers. As this will certainly become evident as he continues on through the chapter. It is a chapter which provides immense hope and which is probably cited as much as any other passage from Paul's pen over the church age, especially when dealing with the issue of believers who have died. In this, it is obvious that the words are intended as pertaining only to those who have died in Christ. Thus they are brethren that he will speak about there as well. Okay, it didn't matter if you're replacement theology or if you believe in dispensations. You will hear this verse cited by people all the time. If you go to a, a funeral, they will cite this. The dead in Christ, okay? And they just think that it happens at a different point in history, meaning at the very end of the age, and there's no, you know, tribulation and all that, they're amillennialists, whatever, but they still, this is a very, very commonly cited passage here, because it gives so much hope to people that have lost their believers, their, their family that are believers. After this, after that, uh, he says, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus. To urge is to request. I think yours, one of you said request. Anyway, to urge is to request but it is a request which bears a note of strong desire or impulse to ensure that what is presented is followed through with. So we urge you, we request, but it's more than that. There's an impulse behind it. In this case, the Greek word indicates to ask on special footing. And thus there's a sense of intimacy coming from one in a preferred position. To exhort is to prompt to action. This Greek word indicates making a call from a close and personal relationship. Both of these words are used in connection with in the Lord Jesus. In other words, we urge in the Lord Jesus and we exhort in the Lord Jesus. In other words, this urging and exhortation is given because of and by our close and personal union in the Lord. We are brothers, we are family, and the Lord is our head. Therefore, we take to, therefore, take heed to what I now state. He then defines his exhortation by saying that you should abound more and more. Take heed to this. You should abound more and more. Sanctification. You should be growing in the spirit. You should be growing in the fruits of, of your walk before the Lord. What this implies is that those in Thessalonica have been given guidance to abound in their Christian walk. 
They have thus far been living by that guidance, as is evidenced by Paul's words of rejoicing of chapter 3, when he heard that this was so. We went through that just over the past three or four weeks. He had heard that their faith was strong. He was so happy about it. He was relieved. Timothy had reported this, and now he petitions them to continue in this life by but growing in it from day to day and even moment to moment. Don't worry about, you know, the next life. You've got to live in this world. But as you live here, grow from day to day, from moment to moment. Keep growing, okay? He doesn't tell them to act like, you know, the, it's a term I've heard preachers saying. It's very cliche. I think I've probably said it here a few times. And uh, it's something that is true, though. Some people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Okay. All they think about is the rapture. All they think about is not being here. And listen, I think about that all the time. That's all I think about too, but it's not all that I do. Even though I'm wanting to be with Jesus, even though I want the rapture to happen yesterday, okay, I'm here. And so I have to get up every morning and I have to say, am I going to devote this day to the Lord or am I going to just, you know, talk to people about the rapture? Watch a bunch of stupid rapture videos and you're so heavenly minded, you you are no earthly good. You're not out there telling people about Jesus. You're certainly not reading the word because if you can watch eight videos a day that are 35 or 40 minutes long, you're not reading the word. I assure you of that. But there are people like this. They just continuously, that's all they want to do is just talk about the rapture. You know, and one of my friends, she said this to me in several emails and I can't disagree with it. You have to wonder if some of these people are even saved. Do, are, are, you know, we have people that watch the prophecy updates, and after me saying, read your Bible, read your Bible, get into sermons that are based on the Bible, they'll email me and they say, I finally started to watch the sermons and I have received Jesus as Savior. What are you doing watching a prophecy update if you don't know who Jesus is? It, it, that's all it is. It's just people with their, they want their ears tickled. And so they, they talk about things like, I'm going to be raptured out when they don't even know Jesus. Okay? <laughs> that is a sad place to be. I know my voice is up today, but I got so angry with that, that thing at the beginning. I never should have read that, but I want you to know, be careful, even Bible translations. Know your word, and if something says, is that right? Ask somebody or check it out. It's important, okay? All of this is evident from his closing words of this verse. We're not going to have time for another one, so this will be it. Which say, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. That's Paul's words there. Just as, where was I? You received from us how you ought to walk and how to please God. Paul and his companions had visited Thessalonica. They had established the church and given instruction. The Thessalonians had accepted the teaching and they continued in it. All of this was a walk pleasing to God. Paul's great hope for them is that this walk would continue. And that should be the hope of anybody that has somebody show up at a church and decide, oh, I want to follow Jesus. We should want them to walk with him all the days of their life. Life application, we are either moving forward in our Christian walk or we are moving backward in our Christian walk. There's no stagnation in your life in Christ. Paul's exhortation to all is that we always move forward, abounding more and more. Let us endeavor to do so. So there you go with that. That's Paul's words 
Next week we start with verse 2, and uh, I, I kind of wish that we had gone through the last verses last week, because chapter 4 is so exciting, but that's okay. One thing at a time, everything fits, everything has a reason for it happening, but uh, uh, yeah, hold fast to the word, but don't be duped by people that manipulate the word. I, you know, I be very careful with that, um, and be careful with people that, uh, uh, you know, don't believe the fundamentals, if they believe the fundamentals, you can fellowship with them. But if they don't, if they're teaching law observance, if they're teaching um, uh, that Jesus is not God, that the Trinity is not true, that there are three gods, which is impossible, you can't fellowship with those people because you are affirming their incorrect doctrines. And that's, that's just not a good place for them to be. And you are helping them along the path by doing that. So you have to say, I'm sorry, I'm a Trinitarian because that is what the Bible teaches. There cannot be three gods. If there's this God here and this God here, then this one has something, this one doesn't, and therefore this is not God because God has everything. God is all in all. So think those things through. Learn the 12 principles. Don't try to evangelize people with the 12 principles. No. That's not good. You evangelize with the gospel. You want to bring in the nature of God, the nature of time, space, and matter, and how God created those things, that's fine. But don't dwell on things to show how smart you are. God has shown us how dumb we are by giving us the gospel. It's so simple that anybody can get. So that he, he, he has dumbed it down to the very basic thing that we need to know. Christ died for your sins. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. If you believe those things in your heart, you will be saved. It's so simple because we complicate everything in this life. Anyway, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, so grateful for your word thank you for it. It's a light to our feet until the day that Jesus comes again. And it tells us about Jesus. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful to know, Lord, that Jesus has done all that he has done so that we don't have to do anything to be saved except believe. And then from there, we can spend the rest of our lives trying, desperately trying to emulate him and failing every step of the way, but knowing that your grace is sufficient. Thank you for your grace. How wonderful it is and help us to uh, share this message with everybody we can while we can. We love you, we praise you, we exalt you. Thank you for this class. And we pray for whoever Tom had uh, that he didn't mention at the beginning of the class, we ask for that person as well. And uh, be glorified in our lives throughout the week ahead, oh God. Amen. 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 All right. Let's, oh, we gotta say goodbye to the people now. because we, uh, There we go, bye. Okay, and then let me back that up and we can wave while the sound is off. Okay, we're gonna go to break, 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 yes.